0: all the other things that are not working and that is just not how corporations run today right it's it's a lot more command and control there's a lot more openness to experimentation and truly you actually don't know what is going to work so it's a humbling exercise too in understanding that Not even the founders, nobody who works there knows exactly how the product was going to be used or what the future direction was. It was more that your users are telling you that.
1: Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Candice Factor. Candice, thanks for doing this.
0: Thanks for having me. Great to be here.
1: Yeah. So tech entrepreneur, storyteller, all around, exciting person. why don't you give us just like a quick let, let's do the super quick overview on the Candace Factor story. And then I've got a whole bunch. Of-
0: Absolutely. So super quick immigrants. I came to Canada in 92 from South Africa, uh, lifelong learner. I started my career in strategy consulting, built out a corporate innovation arm left all of that to go to a bleeding edge startup called wattpad which was reinventing storytelling left that became a investor a a seed investor and then have recently just started a new company in the live learning space as an entrepreneur and i'm also a venture partner at a silicon valley uh, series a firm
1: great um which firm
0: uh, a firm called Lobby Capital and my company okay. is called Disco, uh, the Latin word for learn.
1: Okay, great. So what's the uh, AUM at Lobby Do you guys disclose?
0: I it's uh, I think we just I'm just trying to know if we disclosed it or not. So <laughs> uh, hundreds of millions. Okay,
1: okay, <laughs> great. And then Wattpad, you were like employee number 10, and right all the way there through Series D. And then they later sold for like 660 million. Is that right?
0: That is correct. So I was the first non technical leader that came on board and scaled Wattpad from, I think at the time there were 10 of us to about 120 people and to 100 million users from about 4 million. And uh, yeah, I can definitely talk a lot about that. And we just sold uh, recently for, as you said, $660 million last year.
1: That's incredible. Well, first, I want to talk about growing up in South Africa and how some of those experiences you feel like have been advantages for you. You know, like one of my best friends here in Utah grew up in Johannesburg. Interesting experience, like a, a white kid in basically an all-Black community and has a lot of interesting stories with that. And has you know since become like a put his whole life together, got to America with like two hundred bucks or something, and got himself in the college, got a degree. Now he's like c level executive and has really made a lot of himself and. About the same time you came over, I was in I was in Calgary and going to an art school for grade 12 a little after that and had a major crush on a South African girl, Kelly File. <laughs> I thought she was the best. But but let's talk about what you feel like some of the advantages are of how you grew up for what you've done with your life.
0: I love that. And I'll tell you about funny stories in Saskatchewan, Alberta, being the the girl from South Africa, which is where I landed at 14. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to that part, but yeah, I mean, I I always bring up the first thing when people say, "Tell me about you." I say, "I'm an immigrant from South Africa," and I think it's because it was such a transformative experience, and it's so transformative for a couple of reasons. You know, one, my worldview is so much bigger having lived in such a different type of place. And what's interesting about South Africa is it's a really complex country, and it's a very chaotic place. And there was a lot of polarity, right? It it wasn't a simple place to understand. It was incredibly beautiful. It was incredibly dangerous. There was a lot of conflict in, in the country and you know it's it's a lot of uncertainty and i and i'm really grateful that i was rooted in understanding how to thrive in uncertainty because i kind of feel like it was great preparation for 2021 and 2022 in many ways and the other part that i i think was foundational and obviously being an entrepreneur is all about thriving in chaos and uncertainty so just to kind of bridge those two things but the other part that was really foundational was you know, leaving everything behind. My my family, you know, we, we did grow up in a relatively privileged way and they actually had to make a choice to pursue uncertain circumstances for a much safer and freer life for their children and give up a lot of material wealth. And I think it did two things for me. One, it made me super hungry and driven to succeed and be an overachiever in many ways, having come here at you know, 14 without a ton. And number two, it also made me realize though, that money cannot buy certain things. And that was really, really important as a young person to learn really early. And the one thing my family did have was uh, a lot of connection and a lot of love and a really positive and optimistic attitude.
1: Those are huge gifts, right? Totally. Yeah, well, let's talk about the, let's talk about this career that you give up to be employee number ten at, at a crazy startup going to Wattpad.
0: Absolutely. So you know my my whole life, especially as an immigrant, I was very driven. I, I you know started in strategy consulting. I landed up being a co-founder of a corporate innovation arm for a very big media company. And it was really comfortable in many ways. And at, at 20 something, you know, I was like, this is too comfortable. It's too easy. And it's that that sort of like complacency, knowing that like the short term is really great, but in the long term, I'm going to suffer the consequences. And i And I think what was interesting for me is this innovation arm, we actually did the most phenomenal things. And I think the reason we did uh, we built a portfolio of like 23 digital businesses. It was a 500 million revenue portfolio profitable, all sitting in you know a newspaper company. And what became really clear to me was that, one, it, it's ultimately, it's very, very hard to innovate in traditional places. And I was so tired of fighting internal battles. And I'm sure this can resonate for a lot of people here when the real fight or the real opportunity is outside on the playing field. And I, I had actually started something a few years back while I was part of this corporate innovation arm at the same time Wattpad had started. And in fact, there were three companies that went down to the very first South by Southwest Interactive from Canada. And it was Wattpad, my little company called Our Faves, and another company called Bitstrips that was acquired by Snapchat. And Wattpad took forever to take off. It was not a a slam dunk in the first couple of years. And finally, Wattpad was seeing some traction. And it was one of those moments that some people I'm sure have faced where it's like, it's doing the hard thing but for all the right reasons to work with the smartest people in the country on the most innovative and and sort of crazy idea and to do something that was just so global and transformative and it was just one of those moments where you say i'm going to jump and i was i'm so happy i did
1: And for people not familiar with Wattpad, can you describe the offering more for for folks?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Wattpad was this amazing platform, very ahead of its time, actually, around allowing anybody to read and write stories on their mobile phone. And what was interesting about Wattpad is it actually changed the very nature of what books or stories were because they were social serial stories. So somebody would write a chapter, you'd get feedback on that chapter and then they'd be inspired to write a game. And you know, this platform was really, really popular with young people. It was a really great way to express themselves and to build community and connection. And, you know, a hundred million people, you know, use Wattpad today. And a lot of really interesting IP, like entertainment IP, came from these stories that young people have written. And now, you know, it actually has like movies and books that come out of it. And yeah, very, very uh, innovative platform in the entertainment industry.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'm interested. So you're global general manager, head of business, and and this this route from you know starting you know starting at four million users, getting over hundred million users. What are insights that you think you learned from that that you couldn't have learned any other way?
0: So many. I always say. I, so first off, I now run a, a learning company, so I think a lot about learning. And the number one thing I learned at Wattpad was So much of what I'd learned previously was just wrong in the context of operating in uncertainty and in a startup. And it was really humbling and really powerful to to sort of see how, how many things that we learn in institutional systems or in corporate life do not apply when it comes to complex, you know, adaptive ecosystems and chaotic systems and uncertainty. And actually, they're going to actually put you in more trouble than not. So let's be specific. What, what am I talking about? I think, you know, one of the first things I learned is it's actually totally okay to not be right it's a lot better to not be right. What was so interesting though, is this idea of pouring fuel on the fire. So starting as small as possible, and then really, you're not really looking for anything other than signal that some small part is working. And as soon as you find that small part that is working, you amplify that part. You don't really worry about all the other things that are not working. And that is just not how corporations run today, right? It's it's a lot more command and control. There's a lot more openness to experimentation. And truly, you actually don't know what is going to work. So it's a humbling exercise too in understanding that not even the founders, nobody who works there knows exactly how the product was going to be used or what the future direction was. It was more that your users are telling you that. And once you find a behavior that is working to find more of that behavior.
1: So, so I'm interested, you go from, you know, companies obviously got incredible growth hundred million. What stage was game changer when you went over there or did you start game changer?
0: I started Game Changer, okay. and so really, uh, Game Changer was twofold. So one, very much like you, actually, Jess, it was an investment firm and a live learning community with thought leaders who really inspired me. And so, on the investment side, I left Wattpad after four years, and I left, you know, for a variety of reasons. But one being, there was so much innovation happening in the world and specifically in our ecosystem. Like when I joined Wattpad in 2012, I could name on my hand like five companies that were global network effect platforms that like Kozla Ventures or Union Square Ventures are sort of really prominent VC firms had invested in. By 2017, our ecosystem was about to take off. And and in particular, there was really, really interesting talent in machine learning and artificial intelligence and in blockchain that was starting to emerge in, in Toronto. And as somebody who is a very broad horizontal thinker and had played the role of, you know, innovation consultant and strategy consultant and built a broad portfolio, that that hyper focus of just doing Wattpad or one specific thing, just didn't feel like it was the right thing for me to do anymore. And so I started a micro fund and started investing in this in the Toronto ecosystem, because I had had this unique vantage point of seeing how globally relevant a lot of the technology and talent was in Toronto. And so that was, you know, it was just a really interesting time for this ecosystem. And I had really just wanted to play a, a helpful and also meaningful part in sort of putting Toronto on the global stage which is really what we did at Game Changer.
1: Yeah. So how big of investments what kind of bite sizes would you take there?
0: Yeah, so this was a super small pre-seed seed $250,000 check size.
1: So l- let's go through an example. Like do I do understand you sold layer 6 to TD.
0: That's I I was an investor in layer six and layer six was sold to TD.
1: Um, What was that one?
0: So layer six was one of the most prominent um, AI ML researchers here, a guy by the name of Tommy Putinin, who had actually worked on Yahoo's search algorithm, started a machine learning company uh, specifically focused on the finance vertical uh, to really help in a variety of different use cases that banks were were thinking about machine learning. And it was it was sold to one of our big banks here, T D, and, and is used, the, the technology is used today.
1: So so I'm interested. You obviously, when you have money and it's been my experience that the hands come out, you know, like there's so many options of places you could have put it. What was it about that one that you said, no, this is the one for us?
0: It's such a great, that one was, it it was one of those moments where you just know you're right. And, and I, and, and what I mean with that is often you're really, really not sure, but your instinct and I, I do believe in a combination of, you know, very rational mind but also your intuition is something that you need to like tap into because it is contains you know both your rational mind and your experience and what was so interesting about these two entrepreneurs is they had the perfect combo you know, the, the depth and the reputation and the credibility in machine learning. Like like Tommy was they also had created something called the Vector Institute in Canada for for basically the top machine learning and data scientists in, in the country. But their other co-founder was one of the best marketers and salespeople I had ever met. He actually came from the film world and was a producer and just understood how to sell ideas. And I think what you often see in technology is one or the other, like either it's vaporware where it's like the best salesperson, but there's no substance underneath it. Or it's like incredibly brilliant, genius technologists who have no idea how to deal with humans, and so that combo and that set of experience was a sure bet that uh, it would be successful.
1: Well, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing because trusting our intuition, it can be like it can be such a dicey thing when we're just rationalizing what we want, but calling out our intuition. And yeah, think about how many times it's like, I don't know about you, but I, I think about times where I'm like, logically, this deal makes so much sense. It will make so much money. But my gut feel about this guy, like, I can't tell you why exactly. But you know, and and like you hold your nose and do the deal and it doesn't make any money. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm,
0: like, I'm, I'm a big believer that you, you can actually rationalize anything. It's sort of the opposite way like, you know, it's like, wh- who's leading, right? So I think there there's a million reasons why you can go often either way. I'm a big believer in logic, let's be clear. But your, your intuition or your gut is tapping into often things that may be part of your subconscious as well. And you got to be careful about that, because you could have blind spots or biases, right? So it's sort of that, like, discernment or judgment well, this, around that. But yeah, I, I do listen to my intuition quite a bit. And I, and I'm, when I do, when I create the, 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 you know, a big part of listening to your intuition is creating the spaciousness and the quiet in order to actually hear your true intuition versus, you know, fears or anxieties or, or things that are sort of like hiding what a quiet mind can, can sort of elicit.
1: So I'm, I'm super interested in hearing what your process like that looks like, because you know, like I made enough money to retire like two different times in my twenties and lost it all both times speculating. Mm -hmm. Hence the reason this third time I'm buying commercial real estate, right? (laughs) but with low debt, low to no debt. Okay. But I, I can say like, in certain ways I have the, like, you know, like I've been bitten hard twice. And so like. I'm almost too gun shy in certain situations where it's like, I used to be like the bull forward, you know, like once we wanted it, I could come up with all the reasons to go for it. And now sometimes I'm like, I realize like, oh, I might need to like be myself. Like I've, I've tried to rein that part of myself in so much that maybe I've done myself a disservice at certain times. And so I'm interested in like that balance beam of overdo it, underdo it, and, and how you navigate that.
0: I love this question so much because every year I, I write a set of reflections on what did I learn, I, as I'm sure most people on who on, listen to your podcast do. And I actually said, one of the things I think is most toxic out there is that entrepreneurs need to go all in and what I mean by this is kind of your your story of like sort of having it all losing it all having it all losing it all like as the the daughter of an entrepreneur who sort of had that trajectory I think I'm quite actually conservative as an entrepreneur in the most positive way and what I mean by that is I I think there is this, this this idea that in order to be a great entrepreneur or to be a great person, you gotta go all in, you gotta like put everything on the table in order to succeed. I just fundamentally don't believe that. Like I, I fundamentally believe that, you know, asymmetric risk is like the best thing that ever, you know, happened as a concept, right? Which is you know, you want to be really thoughtful and pragmatic, right, about the level of risk to reward ratios. And the the best way to approach that is to be like level-headed around the, the amount of risk that you put yourself in. And you don't want anything, in my opinion, that can ever kill you. And, you know, even in starting Disco, which is our new live learning company, we were really pragmatic around putting the right amount of capital in, bringing the right investors in, getting product market fit before we go and throw, you know, everything in or ask anybody to do the same.
1: I, I really love that. I feel like, so after after just like that incredibly painful experience, I basically spent the next 10 years reading Warren Buffett books, reading his mentors, Phil Fisher and Ben Graham, his partner, Charlie Munger, his followers, you know, like Bruce Flatt at Brookfield, a great Canadian company, you know, Howard Marks, mm-hmm. Oak Tree and so, and anyway, some of the things you're saying really echo Howard Marks, who, you know, runs $160 billion yep. of this, like, making, like, emphasis on survivability and, like... So-
0: go ahead. No, I I was just going to say, like, I sort of have a couple different principles or philosophies. And one of mine is like a hydra, right? It's like, you need to know that like, if one head gets cut off, you've got like four others, right? (laughs) That, that can be there. And to your point, it is a portfolio approach. And, you know, I think venture, venture has to be played in a particular way. Like you don't make your money on venture by everything succeeding, right? You make your money by having one deal succeed, right? One to two to three deals succeed that return your entire fund. And you know, you need to know what your expectations are as you're going in so you don't throw the entire fund into one deal and then you're burnt if everything else like goes away you throw 250k checks if it's a tiny fund like my fund was or now with our series a fund it's like you take 20 20 position you know at the series a stage and you have a portfolio of them and and sort of you have to know what game you're playing because if you play with the wrong strategy you're going to get wiped out. But if you don't, you have less likelihood that that's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Listen, I know we're, we're wrapping up on part one, and I want to spend a lot of part two on Disco. But before we get there, help us understand exactly what Disco is. Tell me who your ideal customer is, and tell me what's different than the other related offerings out there.
0: I love it. So Disco is my life's work, I will say. As somebody who is incredibly passionate about lifelong learning. And around having transformative learning experiences, DISCO is an all-in-one platform for creators, thought leaders, organizations, businesses who are looking to teach and create live learning experiences. So anybody who's creating live cohort-based courses, live workshops, masterminds, challenges, We are an all-in-one platform that just makes doing everything super easy from creating the products, marketing and selling those products, operating and scaling these. It's just an all-in-one easy solution that was born out of my exact pain point, building my live learning community and recognizing that the future is going to be about transformative live learning experiences, as opposed to what we're familiar with, which is pre-recorded content where you're sitting alone trying to learn. The science of learning doesn't support that viewpoint and I'll tell you why, I guess, when we're back.
1: <laughs> no, no, I got to know now.
0: Okay, let's let's talk about it. So, you know, it's really interesting. The pandemic hit and it was, yeah, obviously March 2020 and What became very clear to me was that people were looking for a sort of way to think about COVID and the pandemic. And and in my network, I had this incredible network of people who I thought were absolutely brilliant who may bring some really interesting inspiration and knowledge to a community. And so very quickly, I built this community of 3000 people, and we're doing these weekly live learning series. And in doing that, it was just a passion project. It it was not intended to build an entire new platform called Disco Around. But in doing that, I just noticed it was so difficult to run these things. It was, you know, I had to use Zoom. And then if I wanted to have like deeper content, I had to use another platform. And if I wanted people to chat, I had to throw them to Slack. And if I wanted to actually run a course to do like a, you know, from one of these experts, I, I would have to use a course platform. And so. I just was like, oh, this is a disaster for people who are going to use this new format, virtual live learning. And so what what became really um, clear to me was that the way in which Zoom sort of trained the world to be live together was going to fundamentally change everything we knew about how how people would learn online. And there were, you know, and are a lot of course platforms or learning platforms, but the fundamental premise of those platforms are that you're actually using content, you're you're sort of consuming content, and you're doing this alone without a peer group, and what the science of learning actually says is that one no actually the data says ninety six percent of people never finish a pre recorded course because we just aren't designed to do stuff on our own. We actually need peer pressure, we need accountability, we need support and live learning which is what disco empowers where there is a group of people and you do have others as part of your learning experience is 10x better in terms of how people arrive at a transformation and you know the other premise of disco is that you know who you learn from really really matters so when people are learning from creators like yourself, like that they love and trust and have a relationship with, they're more passionate and more interested in the subject matter as opposed to, you know, an industrial system where whoever is the teacher is just the teacher, right? That's, that's kind of showing up there. And so, you know, that kind of led us to starting this company and making lemonade out of lemons during the pandemic.
1: I have so many questions. I'm going to save them for part two. I have so many questions. Okay, this is exciting. Tell us where the best people, best places are for people to find you guys on the internet or connect with you on social. What should people be searching for?
0: Absolutely. So uh, look for disco.co. So disco.co. Uh, and you can find out all about us. And my Twitter handle is Candace Disco. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter and I'm pretty active there.
1: Okay, great. Everybody, please uh, tune in for part two.